got Edward Wood on this show? I don't know. Do you think you would talk to us? I mean, I, we've been I, fairly I, rude about him over the years. Is he on the list? Is he on the banned list? I think he might be. He might be on the banned list. I, I think we'd we would have to take it if we were offered an interview with Ed Woodward because it would be too fascinating not to. Yeah. I mean, I think... I'm not sure he's done too many interviews where he's been challenged. I mean, the the, the, the UWS interview, I haven't read um, all of it. It's sitting in my iPhone at the moment, as uh, you know, because it's 21st century. Uh, and so that's the subscription I have. Um, but um, uh, I've seen a few of the quotes that have come out of there. And obviously, uh, Woodward's All Hands was uh, fairly widely leaked in the past week. Uh, which which uh, said some of the same stuff, and uh, I think he's doubled down on some of the comments that he made um, uh, at the last financial call as well. So, you know, it's not his fault. He, uh, but the funny thing, actually, one of the funny things, um, one of the dichotomies that I see in Edward Wood is he wants us to know that he's just a dude signing the team, right? It's not his fault. You know, he said it's an insult to the people on the football side to say commercial things matter too much. It's not his fault that it's gone wrong over the last six years. But he also wants you to know he knows an awful lot about players and tactics and what's going on in the world of football. <laughs> um, and he just can't help himself on that front. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a kind of like cake and eat it situation there. Oh, God. Yeah, there's a whole lot of cakeism going on with Woodward. So, you know, and, and am I... Cakeism? Is that how business people call have your cake and eat it? Do they call it cakeism? Yeah. Yeah, no. So <laughs> it's, a, it's more it's more Brexit terminology actually. Oh, okay, right. There's Gosh. a lot of cakeists in the world of Brexit because they yeah uh, they think they can get something. Um, even no, it doesn't matter. Let's not get into that. <laughs> Let's definitely not do that. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that's my problem with Woodward really. Well, that's one of my problems with Woodward is that his ego I think is getting in the way of effective management here. Um, and and he's kind of said that in a couple of different ways over the past week or so. I do think it was interesting, the all-hands leak, which was basically along the lines of, you know, how dare people challenge uh, what we're doing? It's not true that the commercial side is more important. And then there were a few of those numbers that I think were briefed, um, in particular the one around players are contracted to do six hours of work a week uh, on the commercial side for United and on average they only do 48 and so on. Right. And, and you know, the the the, the key headline, I guess, is the the thing that it's an insult to the football people at the club that the senior management of the club are making football decisions. Um, so who was it then, if that's the case? I, I really would like to know if he was asked the follow-up question, well, what happened in Mourinho's last summer then? You know, because I'm not saying that Ed Woodward's like, yeah, we've got to sign Daniel James. Like, I don't think that's happened. But somebody at that club, whether maybe it's the recruitment people, like maybe there's there are very power because he was talking about the upgrades and improvements to the scouts. Maybe there's very like, you know, maybe that, that recruitment department has a lot of power in the corridors of power now. Maybe I'm not I don't you know, but yeah. some... I mean, the manager still has the veto. But I think it comes down to this too. One is the overriding basic principle that um, someone has to have responsibility. And at most companies, the best paid person is the CEO and the CEO has overriding re responsibility for the performance of um, that company, both financial, but also in terms of product. So, you know, VW is found to have been polluting because it cheated on its engine testing. Senior management went some of it. Well, some of it, maybe that wasn't the best example, um, but um, uh, I don't know, widget company, 
uh, makes amazing widgets that everyone loves. Uh, changes CEO that has six years of crappy widgets. CEO goes, you know. Mm. So all I'm saying is there's responsibility, and and I think Woodward likes to split football and commercial for the purposes of blame. Right? So just keep on firing the manager. And then the second piece is who signs the checks? I mean, in the end, someone is saying yay or nay to 80 million for Harry Maguire this summer when they said nay to 60 million for Harry Maguire under Mourinho. You mm. know? So who signs the checks and who's responsible? Anyway, Woodward did say that there'd been challenges in the transfer market and they'd made some mistakes. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> I still come back to that list I put together uh, um, uh, like uh, six months ago or so. We had fifty players, forty nine players on it at the time. So I, I guess we're at fifty something. Fifty two. Yeah, and I, I could only count about five. I definitely say yeah. You know, undoubted success, and maybe it was less than that. Yeah, and even like the undoubted successes have not been that good. I mean, one of the things that I think is really interesting about, um where United are at right now. So I was on the TIFO podcast and um, we talked a lot about the kind of the last few mm, years. Name dropper. <laughs> yeah, um, it was fun. I had a good time. Um, but the, uh, the, the thing, we were talking a lot about the kind of overall state of play at United right now. And the one thing that is really interesting about this summer just gone is United didn't buy enough players, but it looked in its early days still but not that many of our signings have looked good up until October of the season after, you know, the season after they no, were no, signing in the summer. And yeah, we've got that's all, a good point. all three look good, you know, and that's that's the first time that's happened for a long time. Yeah, to varying degrees. And I, I think, um, you know, we can all get caught up into the, the sort of meta-narrative sometimes around transfers. Oh, aren't they great? I mean, yeah, after a few games, we all love Damian. Although maybe we'd found out by seven or eight games. Yeah, in. by by October uh, he was done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that's one of the other points around this um, this series of briefings and leaks and interviews. They want us to know that they really beefed up the scouting department and they do lots of data and analysis and they've got in a private company that does extra data and analysis on players and they had 850 players scouted at right back and came down to Wan Bazaka. And of course, you know, <laughs> Um, the kind of cynical old school part of my brain wants to go, hmm, well, Paul picked out one because <laughs> yeah. he's clearly the right, best right back in the league last season. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was just thinking, I was like, mm, I don't, what, I'm definitely not looking at advanced data analysis on right backs. I was like, I think we should buy that guy. He looks really good. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, but look, I, I don't, don't want to sound too cynical about that because I do think there is a role for being smarter about data, and mm. maybe it'll turn out that Daniel James was the purchase that no one else saw, um, and and he turns out to be a really fine player for United. You know, maybe, right? I think I think he's playing a lot of games, and uh, his numbers aren't that good, so there's still a maybe on that one. Um, and then Harry Maguire, he's taken a little while to bed in. He's definitely made some mistakes. And um, quite a few, in fact. And I think there's some limitations to his game. And and, and that was one of the other things that um, Woodward sort of admitted in these um, meetings that, in fact, uh, United do pay a premium for, for players, which is interesting. So um, talking of Dan James and Wambasaka and Maguire, let's move on to the Liverpool game where I thought all three of them played really well, particularly Dan James. I think that's 
the best I've seen him play for United so far. Didn't get a goal, did get a lovely assist. Um, and I just thought he was really lively and effective. And perhaps it's not such a surprise. I mean, obviously, like, predicted a loss to Liverpool because they are just a lot better than us at the moment. But um, style-wise, um, we are going to do better in bigger games this season. That's that is going to be, yeah. you know, and this this was real evidence of that. Although, for the first half, especially the first half of the first half, actually, we sort of... We sort of dominated and told the story of the play, and actually, it was it was O-ring theory. It was Andreas Pereira and Ashley Young in that first twenty minutes that were causing us to lose possession and play to break down. Um, but we we kind of got into some really good areas early on, didn't really create anything with them. But then when when Liverpool did put the accelerator down a little bit, then the space opened up, and I thought Rashford and Dan James playing in a front two. I thought Solskjaer got his tactics right. I thought it was it was a really good first half. Yeah, I mean, a few, few things to unpack there. Um, Daniel James, yes, lively up front, and um, he he had some really good moments. Uh, I think overall United were obviously set up to to try and uh, play on the break, and, and systems do make games. And, and here, um, even though Liverpool are, are a superior side at the moment, uh, the system suited us. You know, these are, these are the games where United, I think, are going to look better. And United did a few of the things that kind of please, um, please fans and and uh, help you know not lose, which is they did the grafty things well. They um, they sat in a low block for a lot of the game. I mean, increasingly low throughout the game. Um, they obviously pressed higher in the first half, and that helps. They they made the right kind of tackles and interceptions. Andreas Pereira. We were chatting on the now famous WhatsApp group. Uh, Patreon level diamond. That's uh, not true. It's just me, me and Ed not, and Tom. It's not true. You, you just can't get in there. No, it's just it's too. Cool. We um we were talking about the the merits of uh, Andres Pereira and and Tom was on the side of he had a really good game and he, I was like uh, mm. he didn't say he didn't Tom. Let's be fair to Tom. I don't think he said he had a really good game. I think it was more along the lines of he wasn't completely useless in this game. Um, yeah, anyway, I'm paraphrasing, yeah. and uh, sorry if I've done Tom a disservice there, not sorry. Um, and, and anyway, like, so, you know, he made a lot of interceptions uh, and recovery, ball recoveries, like 10 ball recoveries, you know, so and that's always a good sign of someone who's pressing, and he basically, he was United's number 10 behind the front two, but he was playing as a, a more defensive number 10 there to, to press and try and recover the ball. In higher up the pitch, uh, made a few tackles and interceptions, and did almost nothing on the creative side. So didn't create a single chance. Had a couple of shots from distance, um, and made something like I think it was nineteen total passes, uh, completed yes. passes in the entire game, which is Seven. not a lot for a number ten. I've got the. I just looked at the data because uh, so it's seventeen accurate passes out, of, but only out of only twenty seven attempted. So it was really like. Hardly in the game, but Hardly also in the game, yeah. Given the, given I mean, that's a little bit reflect, re reflective of United's overall performance. So, um, you know, 0.79 xg, and that's um, and what? How much is the goal? Let me just double check that because it's going to uh, be point, a huge point amount. 0.057, yeah, 0.58, mm. I think. So yeah, United have have made around 0.2 xg of chances in the rest of the game, and. You know, they set out to frustrate Liverpool increasingly so as the game went on. So instead of the high press to, to frustrate Liverpool, um, the low block. But it worked. I mean, Liverpool hardly, this is the greatest team ever 
in the foot, you know, history of football, TM, uh, and they hardly created a chance against us. And this was a, a defense that had Marcus Rocco and Ashley Young in it. Uh, yeah, and and to be fair, in the end, it was the fact that it was a defense that had Marcus Rocco and Ashley Young in it that was very specifically responsible for the fact that it was a draw, not a United win. I mean, in, in you know, the, the low block. You're absolutely right. Um, the guy from the Athletic did a write-up on the game and he he did the average position in the first and second half and there's a massive, massive difference in United's average position. Wan-Bissaka's average position in the first half is over the halfway line. So really like pressing aggressively and high yeah. up the pitch. And and it was it was working. It was yeah. really working. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's understandable that the team sat deep with a, with a lead to defend... Um, and because Liverpool are really good, and actually, I think United struggled to get the ball off Liverpool in the second half. Um, yeah, there's definitely a little bit of that. There's also the, the kind of concerning pattern of, and this is a hangover from the Mourinho era a little bit, that United don't seem to be able to retain that press throughout the full 90 minutes. I mean, sim- similar to the game against Arsenal, where I think Arsenal just, you know, put the hammer down a little bit, and that's all it took to take over. And and I think know, it's uh, my my pet theory about this basically is that the the biggest, the single biggest ingredient in that pattern is collective confidence, lack of collective confidence. That they that it is too easy to get this United side to go back into its shell because because of everything that's been going on around the club for such a long time, and that is. Solskjaer's biggest challenge and that's one of the reasons why I was actually really hopeful about him getting the job because almost his technical limitations I did wonder whether he would have the kind of personality to help embed that kind of culture and that's clearly still hasn't happened although it's not like it's not like they completely um, capitulated in this game Um, it was and Liverpool probably still wouldn't have scored if it wasn't for you know it's not is the absolute classic thing of like the manager got his tactics right, the effort levels were absolutely right, and it was one moment of lack of quality and concentration that that yeah that let yeah. you know let them get back into it. Yeah, and in in context, I guess we all thought Liverpool would beat us, and and so mm. United have done great defensive stuff for eighty five minutes in that that one moment where the balls passed. I mean, it's bypassed three players, and and Wembezaki wasn't close enough to the. To the crosser either and it's just one of those things you look back on that and go yeah it definitely could have defended that better and did defend those kind of situations really well I mean remember in, in Robertson and Alexander-Arnold Liverpool have got two of the most potent fullbacks in Europe you know mm. these guys create a lot of chances mm. and they hardly did no them. I mean they, they're, their XGs are just tiny fraction above one because and and 0.6 of that's from their goal. So very similar levels of output from both sides from an attacking perspective, which is damning on on Liverpool. Or is also quite. I mean, listen, I am not sitting here on this institution that's a you know a proud decade old institution telling you ed or you the listeners that i think man united are good at the moment right because they they are not but we hardly concede any chances at all we are bottom of the league by over a goal in um like bottom of the as in top of the league we are we concede the fewest chances in the league uh, up to this point, Liverpool are over a goal of XG uh, expected more than us, and the next team up is like 
almost three goals more no, that's over right. the course of the United season. United so... are much superior defensively than uh, than we have been. Some of that is just the new players mm-hmm. and a better system and more quality, and some of it's structural, and it's related to the to the other one where we are near bottom of the league for uh, expected goals rather than expected goals against. Right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And those, they they are related. Yeah. Um. And Solskjaer's problem now is he just he can't. United cannot just be a team that plays in transitions. There just aren't enough games where we're going to pick up enough points um, for that to count. I mean, it's enough if you just want to avoid relegation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but for making the top four, it definitely is not enough. No. Definitely not enough. And you know, um, like, if you look at the Liverpool model, like, so we're not going to be City, right? Because really you do have to have Guardiola in charge to play that kind of football. There's almost nobody else ever that's played that kind of football. Um, Liverpool, though, is a much closer model for what we actually could be doing of like creating chaos by what Liverpool do over and over again is create transitions where none should exist. And if we're going to play on transition, we can't rely on natural transitions because, like you say, there's there's going to be five games at Old Trafford Max and maybe Norwich at the weekend because Norwich will, Norwich will not do what they should do against us and we might actually win that game as a consequence, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, any any further thoughts on the game against Liverpool? I mean, I mean, a lovely, I, I, a, a really lovely goal um, that, that's worth talking about. Basically, yeah, that's true. We haven't, we didn't actually mention that. Um, just a, a, the, so a foulish to get the ball. Uh, I don't buy it. It wasn't. He, <clears> I mean, I don't buy. I'm sorry. I'm not buying it. He he. If you're clipped in the back of the um, the uh, the car, right? Two two things about being clipped in the back of the car. One. You don't go flying forward. So he's made something of that. He was looking for that. Mm-hmm. And I think, actually, if you slow that right down, his body is going forward before he's even challenged. He's anticipating the challenge. So that's one. Two, he held the wrong bloody car. <laughs> he held the wrong car. It's like there's a Bruder film. <laughs> yeah, I've, the, I've slowed it down. Yeah. There was a that second That ball spitter. went forwards and then backwards and 180 degrees. <laughs> and Scott McTominay did not hit him hard. So I don't care. I think, I think, and, and mainly the reason why that's not overturned is because the referee didn't think it was a foul. And VAR has a high bar, of, we've all talked about in the UK, for overturning. And it wasn't a, a, an obvious error. No, um, absolutely. And so I was comfortable with that. I know there's about 500,000 people on Merseyside definitely not comfortable <laughs> with it. <laughs> and maybe my uh, red tinted glasses would be you know, very different uh, if it was the other way around. Yeah, I think what well, you'd be annoyed, but like you'd, all the same things that you just said would apply. But but I thought United actually that it was an example of us making a tr- transition and cat uh, like um what's the word taking advantage of it. There's a word that means that I can't think of it anyway. Taking advantage of that situation really effectively. Capitalizing. That's it. Thank you. you see, um, I'm, I'm always accused by my boss at work of using too many long words. It's, <laughs> it's useful sometimes. I feel like capitalize is quite. I mean, it's got a number of syllables, but it's a fairly basic it's an level easy word long to word, forget, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, so the the ball to get the ball to James, and then James's quick decision making, but also crucially, Rashford's actual centre forward play, because that oh, as... it's great actually. If you look at him, you know he does all the things he should do: bends his run to get into the right position, peels off the defender, he's on the blind side of the defender uh, in the zone to just tap it in. Yeah. 
and and then he he did the actual tapping in bit really well as well because it's a big chance but it's not a guaranteed chance and and he kind of put it into the right area to get it under Allison basically and it was just it was a, a fantastic goal all round and then the only other thing to briefly mention is just uh the Kater not Kater sorry the Mane goal which was ruled out uh for offside and not for offside for handball which was like I mean, I think it's, it's a stupid rule, but it's the rule. It's obvious. It's oh, not... yeah. I mean, it's really clear. I mean, I, I did. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a stupid rule because we now have two handball laws. <laughs> yeah. One in attacking phases, one in defending phases. So that would not have been called handball if it was in the other penalty area. That would have been a natural position, um, and uh, and VAR would not have given a penalty for that one. But in an attacking phase. Any touch of the ball on the hand in whatever kind of position and whatever the intention of the attacker that leads to a goal uh, is going to be called handball. So, you know, the correct decision, uh, but it's weird that we now have two handball rules. It was it was funny as well, having watched like an insane amount of cricket this summer to see like David Hare come out tapping his arm because that's like the review motion in in cricket. So it's like calling for a cricket review, basically. Anyway, um, yeah, so good. That was good VAR on the basis of the rule, which is a bad rule, which probably only exists because of VAR. So, you know, it's all we we know what it is, what it is. And, and when when their goal, their actual goal went in, I was like. Surely there's some offside in there somewhere. And then you watch, it's like, no, there's no offside. There's only very, very bad defending. So it was unfortunate. Um, and and but you know, leaving Old Trafford disappointed with a one-one draw against Liverpool. Um, that's that's something. I I I still think I don't think this is like it's a measure of how far we done fell. Exactly. Um, it's uh. I don't think this is any kind of turning point, though, because I think all the exact same problems against teams yes. that want to sit back are going to be there. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I was almost about to say, and Norwich might do that to us next next weekend. But, you know, it comes back to my point about systems making games. I'm not sure they will. But um, look, um, on Rashford, I think it's great. He scored two and two games now because he scored for England, of course, in the international break. Mm. And hopefully that's the confidence he needs because he has looked all out of sorts. And I actually thought his movement was pretty good for the whole game on the break, you know, and maybe, maybe, maybe whatever little injury he'd been carrying has cleared up a bit. Maybe his confidence from scoring for England, he's back a little bit. He's got this goal now for United. I hope so, because it will get an awful lot of people off his back. And, and maybe we'll get a little break in a shifting system as well now. Anthony Martial's fit again, you know. And that's one thing, actually. Just, you know, final, final word from me. Um, praise to Solskjaer for getting his tactics right for this particular game. Um, and, but there are still questions for me about, you know, his in-game management. He waited an awful long time to make any kind of changes against Liverpool when we were struggling. I mean, maybe that's because he hadn't got many options on the bench, really. Yeah. Which is part of it. Um, and then brought Anthony Martial on for Rashford. Maybe he's protecting that injury. Um, but Rashford was causing Liverpool some problems in the transition. So it was a little bit of a surprise. Anyway, yeah, um, minor I, quibble. Very, my, my last thing that I wanted to mention, you talked about Rashford's movement. Um, also, the system, I think playing with two up front helped him as well because uh, there was the one where he shot just wide, um, which... Uh, the build in the build up to that Dan James took defenders away from him by making a run and it that was like centre forward partnership play working out well for Rashford so anyway um yeah uh, in the end not a terrible performance really disappointing 
uh, ending and disappointing second half generally. Um, but yeah, that's that's where we're at, isn't it? Next up, Partizan. This might not be out by then, um, so we're not going to talk about that game much. Not also. All disrespect to the Europa League. Um, that's a, a, a competition we almost shouldn't be talking about. Uh, Brandon Williams, the, talking about weird substitutions, I thought it was really weird to bring Brandon Williams on with 93 minutes gone, um, like as if to run down the clock with a substitution at one all. That that felt a weird decision anyway. Uh, he'll play, I guess, against Partizan, um, which is exciting because uh, it would be nice if he would play from the start when Luke Shaw wasn't there, so, so somebody else didn't. Anyway, um, we can take some positives from this. Sure. Uh, can we take any positives uh, from uh, the game with Partizan? Don't know. And I'm, I'm afraid my best an an analysis on this one is I think they're probably not very good. I've mm. just looked at a bunch of their results. So, Mick, uh, and I don't really know any of their players. You, got, got, any, uh, got any insight in Partizan? No, I'm deliberately... St I am remaining deliberately uninformed about our Europa League opponents as a minor like protest against our participation in that competition <laughs> yeah fair enough I, I actually either, feel either... I should have done a little more prep on this one I'd kind of forgotten that we got a <laughs> uh, Europa League game this week yeah um, this is going to be a problem for us all the way through the group stages of the Europa League um, it's just very difficult uh, with the podcast recording schedule essentially it just Europa League games are particularly challenging and it's with Champions League games it's not that much easier schedule wise but there's at least some motivation to try to do something to acknowledge the existence of the Champions League which is difficult to difficult really difficult to care about the Europa League this time around Um and it's, it's sort of like simultaneously feels really below our level in theory to be in that competition, but also kind of above our level in that I don't actually really think we've got a realistic chance of winning this competition. I don't think we're good enough for it. Um, so we're both too yeah. good and not good enough for the Europa League. The the uh, the only interesting um, thing I know about um, Partizan is their, their coach is Savo Milosevic, the former Aston Villa striker. Ah, there we go. Um, Aston Villa beat Norwich City 5-1 the other day. Um, they did well. well. That, what, what an amazing transition, if only we'd planned it. <laughs> yep. Um, what, uh, what do you think the chances of Manchester United beating Norwich 5-1 are? I, I'm not sure that Manchester United's first team would beat Manchester United's under nines 5-1. We just don't create <laughs> enough chances. Um, so I, I think no, it's very unlikely, even though they play with this, you know, ridiculously open system um, and they're completely committed to playing really good football, which is commendable, but they are very, very open. Um, and, uh, you know, which is it's kind of weird one for United because, you know, obviously the games we're struggling are ones against the uh, supposedly lower ranked teams that uh, are going to sit in a low block and we've got absolutely no answer to that. Um, this will be an interesting one where we're playing against a team that won't play with a low block, is open, does allow for chances to be created. Um, will United be able to create any chances even in that system? Yeah, so what you're asking basically is, are United good enough to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Norwich? God. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And, and look, they do, they will leave, they do throw a lot of players forward from midfield and defence. You know, Aaron's on the right-hand side. He's going to get forward all game. 
Um, and that that is going to leave United room to play on the break as well, you know. And and that is supposedly where we're able to create chances. We sh- should be able to create chances. We just don't. I guess one of the real problems with previewing this game is the squad is in such flux. And you know, the one actual real crisis at United at the moment is definitely the injury crisis, which is like really causing massive problems to the side. I mean, it's causing Fred to play in United's first team. Um, although he was like. I don't know. He was all right against Liverpool. He, he didn't. He hardly gave the ball away. But he's is like he is a defense first passer, isn't he? Like he's he's turning and finding one of the centre backs behind him a lot, especially with three centre backs to choose from behind him. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, I guess we we need to to have Solskjaer's Friday press conference before we can make any kind of guess at what that team would be. We don't know whether Martial is ready for Might you know. Start. Yeah, might be might be so? ready. I mean, obviously we've got another injury against. Uh, we didn't really mention it uh, against Liverpool with uh, Tuanzebe injured oh, in the yeah. warm up, which is another thing to say in United's kind of plus column. Given that they had to make a last minute injury change in, and they were playing a new defensive system, and they looked really yeah. defensive. I mean, I organized. imagine they played that system, you know, in training all week. Yeah, sure. Um, in preparation, but yeah, yeah, no, I mean it. it Rocco came in and, and didn't do too many Rojo things, which was, you know, good. Just reasonably sound defensively. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I imagine we'll go back to a back four for this game. Um, and, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be Wambazaka, Maguire, Lindelof and Young, I imagine. Um, Shaw's some distance away from fitness still, I, I think. I, I don't remember any word on him being fit. Um, Turns AB, hopefully it's not too bad. Because he's, you know, it's, it's been pretty positive for him so far this season, hasn't it? Um, and any, I don't, I don't know. Pogba's ready yet? He's got this ankle problem. I think he's still out for a while yet. And and uh, De Gea was a muscle injury, and that that's probably keeps him out of this game too. No, no, that's not right. De Gea was fit. What am mm, I talking about? Yeah, he played against Liverpool. So, yeah, yeah. I- Still, like, is that was that? I don't know about the Twanzebe injury, but if that Twanzebe injury was also a muscle injury, honestly, it is time to call Raymond. It is it's time to get Vahayan on their high knees. Like, we, yeah, we... I mean, one 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 uh, note of defence, uh, which I think actually uh, Solskjaer mentioned this week. You know, Liverpool got a lot of injuries when Klopp first came uh, to the club, and and he had to adjust because he was used to pushing his team really hard and them having a month off in the Bundesliga over the winter, um, he had to scale that back a little bit in training um, in order to stop the injuries happening. And so so clearly something has to happen. I mean, it, he's a year in the job now. Um, it's not just, oh, they'll get used to it. There's there's a problem. We are having a lot of muscle injuries at this club. So something will have to change there. Or, or Otherwise, we'll be talking about injuries for the whole season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... Um... Norwich game, like, you know, we're a week out and, and there's another United game in between that. So it's very difficult to kind of do an in-depth preview. But I would say I'm much more optimistic about this game than I would be if we were going to Sheffield United away. Um, actually, that's probably a bad example because then play reasonably attacking football against pretty much everyone. Um, but Chris Wilder seems to be the kind of manager who would adapt to the opposition. Um, but, you know, if we were going to... Uh, pick any mid-table club you like away, I would feel more nervous about that than I, I do about this game. Although, I, I think we are genuinely going to struggle to... Uh, what we what we really have to avoid is going 1-0 up and sitting back too far and not, 
you know, and, and trying to soak up too much pressure because Norwich will generate pressure and United will find it difficult to get the ball off them, you know, because they're, they're one of those teams that keep the ball well, you know, so. Yeah, and that's all system, you know, because they're still playing basically with a championship squad. Yeah. So anyway, um, I mean, like I, I like I mentioned Aaron's earlier, I like him. I think he's um, he's definitely one who's going to do well. Um, he, you know, he pushes forward really well from fullback and on the other side Jamal Lewis does a similar thing they do play with these really high fullbacks which is an opportunity you know depending on the system we have and obviously Timu Pucky has, has been scoring for club and country a lot this mm. season yeah to the um, extent that Finland yeah. might might get into the Euros which would be remarkable um, it would be so uh prediction for that game before we do some Twitter questions God, it's one. It's really hard to say. It's really yeah. hard to say. I think United do struggle to create chances, um, but we will be did some just in basic transitions. So I, I'm going to say two one to United. Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say. So I'm gonna. I'm not going to go. Of for course, a it, of course it was, mate. <laughs> no, not an original thought there at all. No, uh, I'm going to go for two one for United as well. I'm not predicting the score in the partisan game because it would be disrespectful to the very concept of partisan. Um, given that I have literally no idea who any of their players are, so and and no well, idea. Well, I'm just hoping pick. we managed to get a shot on target because we didn't in our last <laughs> Europa League game. Yeah. Um, I did we we did we rec- yeah we, David De Gea had said what he'd said before we recorded the show last time. And yes, I think yes, was, we talked about it last time. Yeah. yeah okay, great. Um, all right, yeah. so uh, let's do some Twitter questions before we we can um, we can we, we should say at this point um, it's going to be a shorter show than normal this week because we are on different time zones and uh, this was the only literally the only option we could get a show out at all and we didn't want to wait ages again. Um, so no extra backers content this time, but we'll do extra extra backers content. Extra, time. extra, extra, extra backers only Q and A or something like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Great Twitter question. So, uh, PPS he says nice pod. Uh, with Tifa, Mister Sorge. I, I, uh, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, it was good pod, good conversation. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. It was, it was part of my uh, little podcast tour of London. It was, it was good. Pod whore. Cal Gilgut. Another friend of the show, uh, Fred, question mark. God, interesting one, because he wasn't a disaster against Liverpool, was he? But he is generally a disaster. I'm still wondering what he really does. Uh, yeah, I mean, Fred, question mark. That's the, the, the question has its answer baked into it, doesn't it? It's like, Fred? Fred? I don't know. It's It's one of the weirdest signings ever. And you know what's really interesting about it is all this talk about, like, data-driven signings and you know we like to talk about data on this show and I generally am not a a Luddite when it comes to data I find it fascinating but one of the things that um, I heard some Arsenal fans on the Touchline Fracker podcast talking about was um, when they went through their very big data-driven signings uh, period you could almost see which of the players were data-driven signings because they met the exact kind of same templates and they had the same kinds of weaknesses. So they would look great on in the numbers and then not work in the systems and all this kind of stuff, which I thought was a, a kind of interesting point. And Fred, to me, looks like someone's misread some data. Like he, he put up some good numbers. He had some good... Um, some good analytics somewhere. He looked good on one of those little stats bomb circly things. Um, and then you see him in action and you're like, oh, oh, oh dear, that's not good. Yeah, I, I mean, yes, I, I don't know how much of a data-driven signing that one was. It seems to have been blamed on Kieran Maguire. No one really wants to take responsibility. Kieran yeah. McKenna. I, 
Kieran McKenna. I called Kieran, Kieran Maguire, the writer, Kieran McKenna on the other podcast. That's why it's in my head. Well, yeah. Football Nugget says, can three at the back help us in creating more chances against low blocks? Gives more protection to Pogba, good wing backs available in Dallow and Shaw. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that the two things are related. Um, I You know, I think we're going to have reasonable protection anyway, even in a back four. Um, it, it would allow Pogba more freedom and he could play two up front. I don't think he'll do it too often this season. Um, and, and, but but I think if we're going to play with three at the back, I wouldn't mind seeing Wayne Bazaka in the three rather than at wing back because you know, that's his strength in defending and defending. Um, and uh, Sorry, the, the, one, the only counter to that is his defensive attributes are really useful high up the pitch too, aren't they? Because then they create transitions. Um, so I, I would love to see him play uh, as part of the three at the three at the back. If we play Chris Wilder style overlapping centre backs, that'd be that'd be brilliant. I don't think it's going to happen too often this season. Anyway, no. John Firth says, "Did the presence of Roy Keane scare Sunes into actual United praise yesterday?" Mm. Um, I mean, Sunes was apoplectic at half time um, about the uh, uh, redeem Tomenay because. In the uh, disallowed Liverpool goals, I, no, no, I'm not sure he did. I, I am enjoying Roy Keane though. He is box office. Yeah, he's not a good pundit. He's, he's not. But he's, uh, as in, you know, he's not going to provide any kind of level of depth of the analysis. But uh, he's Keane, entertaining. Keane, Mourinho, and Sunes, like, like as if football hasn't got a big enough problem with toxic alpha males. That's oh, that God, is yeah, a heck of a talk- booth. It really is. So, talking of toxic, um, Mourinho. Saying, oh, he'd love Ollie's job, you know, no pressure, three years to build a team, etc. I mean, come on, man. You, you don't have to be that bitter. Even Mourinho, actually, in recent weeks, has admitted uh, that he deserved the sack at United. You know, mm. he failed at United. He doesn't get to snipe at Ollie or make sort of, you know, passive aggressive comments of that nature. Um, at the Kings saying, in case I miss it, when you tweet out um, the question for the pod this week, questions for the pod this week is it just me that think it's not the n- lack of a big number nine that's the reason we don't score enough goals but it's the fact that we have very limited creativity in midfield I mean without Pogba we have almost no creativity in midfield and I'm pretty sure that you and I have been have spent all season saying the big problem is a lack of creativity so I don't think it's just you Mike I definitely don't think it's just you yeah Lack of creativity. Um, there's uh, we talked a lot about Ed Woodward and the various briefings. One of the other words that has been allowed to get out there is United are targeting four signings in January, and then it was quickly followed up by the inevitable article. It's difficult to sign anyone in January, <laughs> yeah. So make of that what you will. It's uh, Schrodinger's transfer market. Yeah, absolutely. How many other podcasts did Paul do last week, says Jax365. <laughs> also, have you read the UWS interview with Edward Wood? What are your thoughts? Well, we mentioned the second one. Paul, how many podcasts did you do last week? I did three, two of which have already been released. So I did Talking Tactics on the Friday night where I talked for an hour about how much I hate the gambling industry because um, it was a little gambling industry special, like gambling and football. And then um, the TIFO podcast where uh, I talked for an hour about how terrible United are um, with Joe. Uh, it was really nice because I've known Joe a long time, but we very rarely are in the same room. So it was it was really nice to to have that conversation there. And, and I think they do excellent work at TIFO, basically. Um, and, um, then, uh, and then I was on my friend Steve Burns' 
video games and movies podcast and that's going to come out at some point in the future but that was that was really fun too very good what was the highlight of beating city yesterday says adam bateman we didn't mention this in the uh the uh, front part of the show, but uh, United beat City in the Women's FA Cup 2-0. Katie Zellum and uh, Jess Sigsworth scoring the goals on a really good run at the moment. Haven't conceded any goals in the last three games and beat uh, Liverpool, Spurs and City uh, in succession. That is a massive, massive uh, result, isn't it? That's a, that's enormous because City in the women's game are, you know, they're a similar level to what they're at in the men's game, I guess, although... Perhaps they've got more... Com- Although Arsenal and Liverpool are providing pretty good competition for City's men's team, aren't they? Um, although I think uh, ru- rumours of the season being over by October might be slightly exaggerated. Yes, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and the women's game, I mean, United have a, a very competitive team, not going to win the um, the women's uh, Super League, uh, not going to get relegated either. And um, I think, you know, one thing I, I you can really take out of the women's team is just how together that squad is, you know, and how confident they are are feeling, um, and how determined they are. And they've got a, an awful lot of really young players in that in that squad, um, and they seem to be growing by the week. Um, and uh, you know, shout out to the the uh, the supporters there because you know they follow the the women's team home and away, and um, uh, and you know, they make a fantastic noise, uh, and it's you know it, it's a, it's a, actually a different thing in the women's game, you know, because there haven't been these big blocks of away followings. But United take quite a lot to every game. This one was at home, um, but you know, really good support. Yeah, actually, we went, I we did, have, I did we say, even mention it? I, I went no. to United's uh, game against Tottenham. That was that was fun. Took the kids, um, and um, it's you know nice atmosphere. More United fans than Spurs fans there, and. Uh, because, uh, cause, you know, we fill stadiums, <laughs> not quite full, uh, but a very good p- performance from the, the women's side in, in that game. Some some weaknesses, I'd say. United, they could really do with a number nine is uh, most of my um, observation of that team. Um, but there are some, you know, some very good performances in in both these games. Brill. Um, all right. I think given... Given where you are and what you've got ahead of you today, Ed, and what time it is there, we should let you go and get on with your day. Um, thank you to everyone for listening. Sorry it's a short show this week, but next week it'll be back to us moaning about the Glazers for an hour and a half. Sound, sound good, Ed? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> always up for moaning about the Glazers for an hour and a half. Yeah, it's really interesting to see the protest bubble back to the surface again. And there is a sort of, there's part of me that's like... Uh, I really hope that the next time we spend you know, a couple of hundred million on some big name signings, these protests continue because what we've seen over the last six years is that they've really, really come and gone and there does feel to be a peak building. It's interesting because Solskjaer is a manager who is sort of, he's not bulletproof from criticism and, and there's definitely a generation of United fans who I'm sure are absolutely sick of the generation older than them's nostalgia getting in the way of United having a proper manager. Um, but um, the Solskjaer has got so much love from United fans that when things are going wrong, it's much more difficult for the fans to turn on him and they're more likely to turn their eye on Woodward and the Glazers, which I don't think is a calculation that Woodward himself probably uh, factored in too much to them. He possibly should have done. Yeah. And f- final, final word for me, just something I wanted to say, because um, more stories surfacing this week that United uh, might be ready to sell out to the Saudis. 
Um, obviously, Kevin Glazer has converted a whole block of his shares. We did talk about this, I think. I can't remember. I mean, United have this dual class uh, share structure. It's very common in the tech world, not so common in the non-tech world, um, where you have A and B class shares, and the, the B class shares have 10 times the voting rights. So um, the Glazer family has actually sold off about 25% of the United share stock. Um, that, that could change in future years by just issuing more stock, of course. Um, uh, but they retain 99 point whatever percent of the voting rights. So totally in control. But Kevin has converted his shares. That is normally a sign that he's prepared to sell. So, you know, and there have been these stories over the years anyway that not all the Glazer siblings are on the same page here because some of them are much more interested in uh, working with the Bucks. Kevin's one of those. Or with the Foundation, Darcy is one of those. And it's really Joel and Avram who are super interested in the United. So, Maybe a sign that there are more splits within the, the Glazer family. Probably not a sign that they're about to sell. Woodward did say, no, they're in it for the long term. So we'll see. But more stories about the Saudis, which would, you know, frying pan and fire situation. Now that one, as bad as the Glazers are, they're not conducting a murderous war in Yemen or murdering journalists or beating people in the streets or denying rights to their citizens. So, um, you know, hmm. Um, Let's hope that one doesn't happen. Glazer, yeah. sell to someone else, please. Someone, mm. you know, nice. <laughs> Not that many nice people with $5 billion. This is a clear clear problem. All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll be back after the Norwich game to do. Uh, we'll be, I think we're in the, are we in the same country by that? Not quite. We're not quite going to be in the same country by that point. But hopefully we'll find a window in your schedule. If there's a little delay. We shall. If there's a little delay, we'll um, we'll make sure that we make it up in terms of volume of content, at least, if not quality. Um, yeah, so. yeah, no, it should, should be all right. I'm uh, I will still be in Los Angeles next weekend, but I will find some. Uh, I will find time to do this. All right, magic. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you soon. All right, bye now. <laughs>